just had a quick question, and this is going, some of you are going to not want to raise your hand maybe, but this has just come to my mind and just from my own personal little survey. How many of you remember the message Sunday morning? How many of you remember that? If you, if you don't, Sunday morning's message, what we preach Sunday morning. Y'all remember that that was here? All right, that's just a little, just a little personal survey of my own that I was asking as I prepare for this Sunday morning's uh, sermon. And you may, not, you may not hear me say anything <clears throat> Sunday morning about the survey at all. Uh, it's just kind of something that's in my heart tonight. If you have your Bibles, John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3, where my heart is this evening. And I thought I'd preach this text last week, but the Lord kept us in John chapter 3 and verse 16 last week. The book of John has fascinated me. It has captured my attention and has been a blessing to go through verse by verse and uh, I do not know, nobody's come to me and asked me personally, but you may wonder how long it'll take to get through the book of John, and here's the answer, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, um, but I hope the Lord will let us stay here, uh, it is a book that in my estimation when somebody is born again, it ought to be the first place they go in scripture is the book of John, uh, the simplicity of John's writing to describe uh, to the believer uh, that Christ is the very Son of God, that He's not just a prophet or not just another teacher that has been given to us, but He's been given to us the very Son of God, deity in flesh uh, that dwells with us. It explains to us that He is the Word and that His Word is uh, where we get our help and where we get fed from. And so I hope tonight that you are uh, getting the help that I'm getting from the book of John. I'm going to read beginning tonight in verse number 17. Uh, these verses should be familiar uh, to us, but uh, I'm not real sure when you come around the verse uh, that we have in John 3:16. Oftentimes we lose the verses around that uh, with the uh, excitement of the one verse that we know so well. And uh, you don't hear many folks talking about John 3:17. Uh, through 21. You don't hear many folks preaching about John 15, 14, 13 uh, because John 3, 16 is the power of this chapter that men and women have come to love. And it certainly is what many have called the miniature Bible. It certainly is what some have said is the gospel in a nutshell that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So uh, it is a powerful verse. But the verses previous and the verses following are just as powerful. The verses previous and the verses following are spoken from the mouth of the same man that spoke verse number 16. Spoken to Nicodemus in this tremendous conversation as Jesus teaches Nicodemus about the doctrine of salvation or what we would call today the doctrine of soteriology. So look at verse number 17. The Bible said, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, 
because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. Father, once more tonight, we ask for your help. Pray, God, that for this short time that we're together this evening, that you'd give us the power we need to be able to proclaim your word in truth and in demonstration of the Spirit. I pray you'd help your people, encourage us tonight, strengthen us tonight, convict us tonight, and draw us tonight closer to you that our lives may show forth more the love of Christ than it ever has. Thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. These verses tonight in particular ought to be, uh, ought not to be overlooked considering, as we've already said, that they are a continuation of what Christ is saying in verse number 16. Uh, Christ has offered the hope of the world uh, to Nicodemus. He's given something to Nicodemus that, uh, that Nicodemus didn't even realize how many people that these words would reach uh, before eternity uh, would come to fruition. We have no idea how many people the words of John 3.16 will reach before uh, this lifetime is over. Uh, but what we do know is that these verses to follow is a continuation of where Christ has given hope to a Pharisee, and not just to a Pharisee, but to the entire world. He has opened up the gospel to every nation, to every race, to every gender. Uh, Christ has left no one out. He has excluded no one from the possibility of salvation through Him and through His shed blood. But that is not the end of the story. Uh, he said that this salvation was to all them that would believe. To everyone that would believe. He said, uh, Paul said it in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16. He said to the Jew first, he said, but also to the Greek. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of that gospel. That Jesus Christ has made a way that not only can the Jewish believer get into heaven, but also us Gentile dogs can get into heaven as well. And it all is by the same manner. We all get saved by grace, through faith, in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one is excluded from that verse in verse 16. But for those that do not believe, for those that do not put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is where verses 17 through 21 continues uh, the doctrine of salvation and the teaching of eternity after this life when we either accept Christ or we do not accept Christ. We reject Him. And in verse 17, He explains to Nicodemus that God did not send His Son into the world. And I have labeled these, this verse in particular for this message, uh, uh, the ministry, the ministry of the gospel that Christ is preaching to Nicodemus, that God has graciously offered to the world this salvation through the work of Christ, that salvation is not appropriated except that it is by a penitent faith. For all who 
respond to the gospel with unbelief, their final doom is set by divine judgment. For those that do not come to know Christ, their fate is set as well. Their fate is everlasting life. If you sit in the presence tonight of the rest of us, having never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ with that a commitment that we preached about Sunday, if you have never given Him your life, your fate is also in the hands of eternity in the fact that you will spend eternity in hell. The word used in our text that I want to focus on tonight is the word condemned. It is to separate. It is to make a distinction between it is to exercise judgment upon something. It is to judge. It is to administer government over or to govern. It is saying that you are under the authority of another and what that person says is the final word. How many of you remember the show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Y'all remember that? Amen. Some of y'all remember more about the game show than you did about my sermon Sunday. Hallelujah. But listen, uh, the reality is in that show, they would say, is that your final answer? And when your final answer was given, that was it. It's right or wrong. It's either accept or reject. When your final answer is in, whatever the judges say is what goes. You're either right or you're wrong. This is not who wants to be a millionaire. This is uh, where are you going to spend eternity, heaven or hell. And uh, Christ said that for those, uh, he said, I've not sent my son. The message is this. Christ did not come to condemn. He said he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Paul said uh, that Christ came into the world and to save sinners. He said, among whom I am chief. Uh, Jesus did not come uh, and to pass judgment upon the world or to condemn the world, but Christ came to save. That's what he came for. But somehow, some way, we have a mindset, or uh, folks at least then had a mindset. He was here to govern in a manner that was going to rule with a rod. They had a mindset that he was coming and to set up a political kingdom. They had the mindset that Christ was going to condemn everyone that was not a Jew and end their political uh, stress that they were under. But Christ said, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world. I came that the world might be saved. The message that he gives to Nicodemus in verse 17 is still the message that's being offered in our time today that Christ didn't come to condemn. He came to save. He came to seek the lost. He came to bring a salvation to a people who do not deserve it. The word... Tonight it is uh, condemned and it's my desire to look at the word viewing what it is that Christ has said about the unbelief of people, of the people of the world. 
What is said about unbelievers? Brother Matt and I were speaking together just before service tonight, standing right here, and uh, we both listened to a lot of preaching through the week, and, and uh, we said something about being saved, and here is my belief, genuine belief. I believe this with all my heart. You don't have to. I believe that we are in a church age where a large portion of professing Christians do not know God. We are in a church age where a large portion of church members say they're saved, but they are lost. I believe that with all of my heart. It is not a satisfying belief. It is not a joyous belief. It is not something that I turn to on a daily basis to encourage me, but rather it is something I turn to to motivate me to preach the pure gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that sinners may hear and turn to Him and believe on His name. This first word's Spoken in verse 17, we've already said it is not the purpose of his mission. Listen, this is the positive of the condemnation that Christ did not come to condemn. That is the positive of what's being said. Christ is presenting condemnation in a positive and in a negative. And he first says, Nicodemus, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to save you. His mission, his message is to save. John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. He that believeth there is a positive about condemnation. If you have trusted in Christ, believeth that ETH, uh, it, 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 it uh, produces or it uh, shows to us a continuous action. Had it had the ED on the end, it would have meant a short period of time that you believed and then it ceased. Uh, but he said, he that believeth, on him, uh, he said, shall not come into this condemnation. It is a reality of Scripture that condemnation is there. But the reality is also that in Christ, we do not have to come into that condemnation. The Scripture goes on to say that we shall not come into condemnation, but is past from death unto life. The only way of escape from this condemnation is the same way that has always been by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8 and 1 is a scripture that we are all very familiar with. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. It is clear that he said that the condemnation is gone from them very plainly because they are in Christ Jesus. Outside of him, 
Condemnation is a very, very real thing. Verses 33 through 34 of the same chapter said, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that, it, it is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who is it that condemneth? It is Christ, but Christ is risen. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, where those that have believed in him, he lives forevermore, making intercession on our behalf, that condemnation will never come. To the believer, that's a positive. If you're saved tonight, in your heart at least, you ought to go, whoop. Hallelujah. I'll never, why will I not ever face that governing judgment of God? Why? Because Christ has already faced it. He's already dealt with the penalty of it. He has already suffered for it. He has already finished the work. And because of that, you and I can live freely and walk around with happiness and joy in our hearts knowing that there is therefore now no condemnation because we walk in Christ Jesus. It's given to us through Him. His mission puts the believer in him, removes condemnation, and no one can bring judgment to us because it has all already been placed on him. Condemnation for the believer is non-existent. There is no condemnation tonight. I'm looking at a church full of people that uh, in my mind says are saved. I look at y'all about every Wednesday night. You're here, you're faithful, and you've got a desire for the things of God. And then my mind says, I'm looking at a body of believers. And the reality is, condemnation is non-existent for you and I. Not, now listen, I want to clarify this. Not because I think Robert Little, Scott Seckler, and Rick Stamper are good men, but because I think Robert Little Scott Seckler and Rick Stamper have anchored their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not because I think Matt is a great singer and sings for the glory of God. No, it is because I think Matt has anchored his hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not because I believe Nathan does a great job playing an instrument or because Brother Chip is a great singer and a great encourager. Have you ever heard that man complain about anything? Linda probably has, but I have not. He is an encourager, but it's not because of those things that I believe that Chip is going to heaven. It's because his testimony exemplifies uh, that he has placed all of his trust, all of his hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, the condemnation is gone because Christ made it so. Listen, if I was still trying to do away with condemnation, I'd still be condemned. And so would you. So the mission is simple. He came to save, not to condemn. The message to those who do not believe is simple. You're condemned already. 
this great debate that rages in our world uh, about uh, God choosing who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. This great debate that says God has chosen so many to go to hell and so many to go to heaven. Can I say to you, God did not have to do that. He did not have to choose who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. When man sinned in the Garden of Eden, he plunged all men into death. He plunged all men into the bloodline of Adam and Adam's bloodline became doomed and condemned because of sin. All men that have ever been born were born condemned. Because of Adam. God doesn't pick who's going to hell. All, all of us were born condemned sinners. He said those that do not believe are condemned already. They're not waiting for judgment for the judge to drop the gavel and say you're condemned. They're already condemned according to scripture. And so were you. Until the Holy Ghost of God came by. Said come with me. And drew you. To an altar of repentance. They're condemned already. What did God say in the book of Genesis to Adam? He said the day that you eat of this tree. The fruit of this tree. He said thou shalt surely. Die. The Bible said. We are dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Why were we dead in our trespasses and sin? Because the day Adam sinned, he died and plunged the entire human race into death, spiritually. And in order to not be condemned, we must be given life. We must be quickened. Amen, that's the scripture. He quickened us. He made us alive. He made us who we are. Not by anything we did. Not by whether or not we said the right words. He made us alive. He drew us to himself. That eliminates us from the process of salvation. He didn't, no, he didn't hold a gun to your head and make you do anything. I, I, the, the silence changes when I, say certain things. Some of y'all's eyebrows go up and silence changes. Amen. You didn't get saved of your own doings and your own choosings. He drew you to himself. He brought you to the brink of a decision. You made that decision. God saved you. Amen. That's simple enough. He didn't say, if you'll get, he didn't do like he did old Naaman back there in the Old Testament, say, I'll save you if you'll go dip seven times in the water. If we'd have done that, we'd have bragged about how quickly we dipped and how thoroughly we dipped and, and uh, the water uh, did this and the water did that. Uh, but no, rather, he said, I'm going to save you. He said, because it's not of works, uh, lest any man should boast. Uh, if there was something we would have done, we would have thrown our thumbs behind our lapel, thrown out our chest and said, look at me gloriously saved because of what I did I've often wondered how the angels are going to feel whenever he blows the trumpet and declares come up hither 
And we all get home and we all begin to sing the song of the redeemed. The song that says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I ought to have been in hell, but today I get to spend eternity in heaven. An angel cannot join in on a song to know what it was to be condemned and then to put your trust in Christ and to never be condemned again and to be able to know you deserve judgment and you deserve hell, but Christ gave you mercy and gave you grace and gave you heaven. And to know that is a glorious thing. So the message to those that do not believe is, friends, you're condemned already. Through the sin of Adam, we were all plunged into death, born into sin with polluted bloodlines. Christ didn't have to condemn us. As long as mankind refuses to believe that Jesus is the way, they will remain in sin and in death and condemned, judged already for their sin. This is John 14, 6. I do not have to even read it to you, but I'm going to anyway. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Can't even get to him any other way. You've heard my silly little post office illustration, but the reality is when we die, we're not going to the post office. There ain't three different ways to get there. Amen. We could leave out of this parking lot and all go a different way and wind up at the same Landis post office. But that ain't the way about getting to heaven. You're not going to leave here and one of you go by the way of Buddha and one of you go by uh, the way of Hare Krishna and one of you go uh, by the way of Muhammad and then another go by the way of Jesus. That is not happening. I do not care what the world's most popular evangelists say. I do not care how much peace they are trying to keep. Jesus said, I am the way. Muhammad will get you to hell. Buddha will get you to hell. It does not matter if that's all you've ever been taught. If you go to hell, and you'll go because you did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation. Acts 4 and 12 said, neither are there salvation than any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The only means of salvation is at the name of Jesus. I listened to a short clip that was sent to me by a preacher this week. Matt and I were talking about it. It's about a minute and a half long, maybe the greatest minute and 39 seconds I've ever listened to in my life, referencing a, uh, referencing a interview with what I believe to be Joel Osteen and Larry King Live. Larry King asked about the reality of whether a man does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ if he dies and goes to hell and never gets to go to heaven. The preacher said, well, I didn't call him a preacher. The man said, I don't know. The man said, it's not for me to say. I, I don't know. I've been around Muslims and they're sincere and they love God. And the preacher said, that's a lie. They hate God and everything about God. The reality is you can pick any way that you think that you want to go to try to get to heaven. The Bible said there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end of those ways are the ways of death. The ends of man's ways will lead you to hell. Christ is the only means of salvation. You believe any other way, you're condemned already. The Bible said in 1 Timothy 2 and 5, for there is one mediator, one, one mediator 
between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. No other way. Unbelieving men and women have already been condemned. Self must be denied, and submission to the Lord must happen. Jesus Christ must, must happen for anyone to be able to enter into heaven. Jesus is going to have to happen in that individual's life. The object of this is to live life knowing that your trust is in the only begotten Son of God. So we've looked at the mission and the message. Here is the marvel of the condemnation found in this illustration given us by Christ himself. He has told us in verse 17, he didn't come to the, condemn the world. He's told us in verse 18 that uh, the world is condemned already if they do not believe because he's not believed in the, on, the name of the only begotten son. Verse 19, he says, here's the condemnation. Here's what it is. He said, light came into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. There's the condemnation. It's in the things we love. It's in the things we are committed to. My precious wife has challenged my heart for months now over this verse in Matthew. Her and Miss Kara talk about it probably daily about different verses of Scripture, but this one always comes back to the head, and that is that if we're going to be what we ought to be for Christ, that we love the Lord thy God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. She'll ask me sometimes out of the blue, do we really love him? Do we really love him? Men loved darkness rather than light. Say, preacher, that's not in our day. I mean, every street corner's lit, every, uh, every house is lit, everything around us displays light. People's minds are always on this. No, people's minds uh, are just like they were in the days of Noah. Uh, their thoughts are just like they were in the days of Noah. Their hearts are wicked. Uh, they're desperately wicked. Uh, who can know them? Uh, the thoughts of our minds are on evil uh, continually. Were it not for Christ, and the Holy Spirit living in us, we would make the same choice Adam made. And he was perfect. Why? Because men loved darkness. Here's the, here's the analogy. They loved their sinful nature. They loved the things they were doing and if you go to the light while doing those things, the light will expose them. So men would rather stay in their sinful nature in the dark than to be in the light and be exposed as to who they really are. It's the reality. It's the reality. We say, oh, that's not, that don't apply to me. It may not, but it could apply to your kids or your grandkids. I had someone tell me just recently, someone very close to me, 
just recently that I just found out my son is smoking dope and his mama's letting him do it in her house. He had no idea, but it's apparently been going on for some time. He said, he said not only is he smoking dope, but he's drinking liquor and he's doing all these things. Friends, he's 16. He's 16. Daddy didn't have a clue. It may not apply to us that men love darkness rather than light. It may not apply to us. We may feel like that we're walking in the light and that we are not under that condemnation and we're, uh, we've got our chest stuck out and we feel 10 foot tall and bulletproof, but it could be your grandchildren that's walking in the darkness. Oh, they're the best little kids. Listen, my granddaughter's two years old and the reality is I treat that youngin' like she's an angel. And I want to see her face every day. So she FaceTimes me every day. First words out of her mouth is, Papa, makes me swell up inside of me. And right now at two years old, my mind says that's the greatest thing ever was. At 16, she may have Papa fooled. She may be sleeping with every boy in town. At 16, she could be doped up on drugs. She could be an alcoholic already by 16. And Papa never knows. Why? Because our nature loves darkness rather than light. That's the condemnation that unbelievers live under. They love what they're doing. If we are led to believe somehow that Landis Baptist Church is exempt from those type of people, we are fooled. We are fooled that we have the reality is there are probably more than likely all the way to absolutely positively there are people like that sitting in our congregation week in and week out that have us fooled. That have their parents fooled. That have their in-laws fooled. Have their wives fooled. Their husbands fooled. And the reality is they are condemned they're living under condemnation because they love their darkness more than they love light. Here, in a sense, is what is being said. They'd rather spend eternity in hell as to come to the light and go to heaven with God. Isn't that terrible? In essence, that is what is being said. That they'd rather have their darkness than they would to be exposed in the life. It is a matter of pride. I will not admit I'm a sinner. I will not admit that I'm lost. I've been in church and I've my parents are good people. I will not admit to these things. And pride. What does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Profits him nothing. He'll die a proud man. But in hell, he'll lift his eyes. In hell, he'll pray that God would go tell his family not to come to this place. In hell, he'll be in torment, begging for a drop of water off the tip of a finger and a coolest tongue. In hell, he'll fight powers of darkness for all eternity. Totally amazes me. Mankind loved and continues to love sin 
more than God. The evildoers, the Bible said, talks about that they hated the light because their deeds are evil. The things they are doing are evil. Doesn't seem like it. Here's, here's, here's the modern day Here's the modern day excuse for fornication. Well, I love him. And I love her. We're going to get married. We're going to have children. Here's the old-fashioned, holy roller, uh, Bible-thumping preacher's idea. It's still a sin. It's still darkness to be engaged in illicit sexual activity before marriage. Still sin. But folks will paint the picture every way it can be painted. I love him. I'm going to marry him. We're going to have a life together. Next thing you know, she's pregnant out of wedlock. He's all tore up because his parents can't know. He dumps her and leaves her by the side of the road to have a baby and raise it as a single parent. He goes off somewhere into some other ungodly sin because he loves darkness rather than light. She loved darkness rather than light. And now they both have to pay the penalty. For sin. Isn't that right? But men hate the light. They hate the light. Because they love the darkness. Love the darkness. I don't drink because I like to drink. Preacher, I drink a little bit because it calms my nerves. Do you mean to tell me you've got to be flat wasted? For your nerves to calm. Passed out on a bed for your nerves to be calm. So drunk the next morning you have to wear sunglasses inside so that you can be calm. The reality is we paint all of these pretty excuses. Richard Lockie said, there ain't no such thing as an excuse. He said, it's, a, it's the skin of a reason packed full of lies. That's what he said an excuse is. But here's what I'm saying. We, we, and we do that. We, our world has accepted that. We have accepted a distorted picture of sin. If we're ever going to be right with God, it's when we come to the same mindset about sin that God has, that His Word has, that fornication is wrong, that wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and he who is deceived thereby is not wise. We're going to have to identify that homosexuality, sodomy, is an abomination to God. We're going to have to understand that sowing discord among the brethren is an abomination abomination in the mind of God. We must come to the same mind as God. And until we do, it'll have to be said that we love darkness more than light. Same mind of God that says, Paul said, until I come, he said, give some diligence to reading. That's in your Bible that you ought to read. He, the, same, the same preacher said, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Don't take someone's word for it. Study the book. 
find out what it says. If we don't, we are guilty sinners. I heard a message today about a survey about theology in America today. The survey asked the question, do we believe that people have the right that other people that believe in other gods are going to go to heaven the same as those that believe in Jesus Christ? 70% of evangelicals in the church today said yes. 70% said yes. If they don't, believe in Christ, but they believe in another God, they'll go to heaven. 70% of those surveyed. We need the word of God back in our hearts. It's condemnation that men love darkness. We want to believe that it's all right to love who you want to love, whether that is the same sex or the opposite sex. We want to be led to believe that because two people love each other, they ought to be able to live together before they're married. We want to believe all of these things that the world has painted to us when God still says it's sin. We want to believe all that stuff. Why? Well, maybe it's because we have compassion in us. Have compassion toward them and tell them that Jesus saves That's what needs to be preached and taught. That you're under condemnation. You're under that condemnation. Your heart is not truly given to Christ. I'm about done. These evildoers hate light because their deeds are evil, and light exposes those evil deeds. Men do not like being exposed. They do not like being exposed. Some like the bright lights of the stage until it exposes who they really are. And then they don't want to be seen or to be heard. Those who have, those however, however who have believed walk in the light or in the illuminating presence of Christ, the marvel is why in the world would one walk in the black of darkness rather than the brightness of light and life through Christ? That's the marvel of condemnation. Why? Why would we continue to walk in darkness condemned because of our sin when we could walk refreshed and renewed and revitalized in the life and in the light of Jesus Christ himself. I doubt very seriously, and I, listen, I come from a small town, 13 years pastored a small church, and I didn't believe anybody in that congregation was guilty of anything. And then I left, and a bunch of them hated me, and talked about me like I was a dog and rumors come out that they was going to run me off anyway. So uh, then I realized that there are people in small churches that are guilty as dogs and that love darkness rather than light. But I look at you and I say, there's probably nobody here that's a murderer or ever will be a murderer. May not be anybody here tonight that's guilty of adultery or guilty of some of the great gross sins that we 
identify with. But there are a room full of people tonight that are sinners. Sinners. Your mind's thought bad things. Your mouth has said bad things. Your body has been lazy when it should have been up and doing things. Your spirit has become weak and low because of your lack of feeding it on a daily basis. I can't give you, and listen, some of those days are not the best food, but I can't feed you, but three times a week, the best I can do. If you tried to live on eating three times a week, eventually you would die of malnutrition physically. But many are weak and weary and saying, I'm not getting fed. And they blame that on the pulpit or they blame that on their Sunday school teacher. Listen, you've got to feed yourself when you leave here. And if you don't, you're guilty of walking in darkness. You're guilty. Are you feeding your children? If you're not, you're guilty of neglect, spiritual neglect. Because we're walking in darkness. We love our deeds. I heard Tom Gillum say this years ago, and it's, it's, never been, it's been one of the most true things that I've ever heard in my life. The church world as we know it are sacrificing their children on the altar of the temporary while not giving them the important things of the eternal. Sit them in front of a piano. That's eternal. There's going to be music in heaven. I don't know if this little piano here is going to be in heaven, but there'll be music in heaven. Teach them to sing. There'll be music in heaven. They ain't going to be playing Little League when we get to glory. Now listen, I understand. I like, it. I like to play golf, but I don't expect God's going to have an 18-hole golf course in heaven. I don't expect that. So don't sacrifice our children on the altar of the temporary. It's all right. Let them do those things, but don't, don't let it hinder Eternal things like church. We do. Why? We do. Why? Because we love darkness rather than light. We love, you know that almost every parent I know my age from my generation are trying to live their lives through their children. Every man I know, as soon as their boy was born, he put a ball in their hand and a bat in the other hand and tried to make a ball player out of him because he wasn't as good a one as he'd like to be in. So let's make my son that player. Let's make my daughter that player. And they push them out there, travel teams, take them on the weekend, move them here, move them there, and they've sacrificed them on an altar of temporary because they love darkness. Now listen, playing ball, when I was growing up, my papa, the preacher, wouldn't go to a ball game he wouldn't go. He wouldn't come watch us play because the church talked about him if he did for being down at the ball field. Didn't have no business being down there. But nowadays, it's just the thing to do. We've pushed them and pushed them and pushed them and temporary runs our lives. Do we love light? Are we walking in light? These are, these are just three simple thoughts on this word, condemnation. Good news, if you're saved, condemnation's non-existent in your life. Bad news is, if you're not saved, you're condemned already. Don't blame it on Christ. Don't blame it on the preacher. Don't say, don't judge me. Only God can judge. You're already judged. 
You're already condemned. An unbeliever is already condemned and the judgment and the punishment for that condemnation is eternity in hell. What will change that? Christ and Christ alone. What do we need to help them change that? The Word of God, the Scriptures, Scriptures alone. They need the Word of God. Tonight, I hope that I've enjoyed preaching. I'm just going to tell you, I have enjoyed it. And I hope you have enjoyed being here. But I want us to come to the piano. Get us a song tonight. I do not know what the Lord may speak. I never know what He may speak. I'm just glad He still speaks. Amen. Glad He still speaks. Condemnation. It's a, it's a, it's a government, a governing. Somebody bigger than you is going to tell you whether you're right or wrong one of these days. Somebody bigger than us is going to be the one governing over us. And uh, I just want to be right with him.